Digging deeper into the day's top stories, you're listening to Jeff Andreas on 610 AM News Talk and RadioNL.com. Hello and welcome into the Jeff Andrea Show here on Friday, January 17th. And as always, thank you so much for tuning in. On today's show, a new program at Thompson Rivers University is helping students dress for success. When students are preparing for internships, many are left scrambling to find a wardrobe that is professional. Well, one TRU lecturer is helping to find them outfits that are appropriate. She says it is another barrier to success in a program that requires you to complete a practicum. So I'll be joined by Roxanne Letterloff at the end of the show to talk more about that program. A free clinic in Kamloops for people who need legal services but can't afford them is now being expanded. The province has granted the Elizabeth Fry Society a quarter million dollars to hire a lawyer at its legal clinic. BC's Attorney General Dave Eby says until now the society had a legal advocacy group here but no actual lawyer meaning clients there can now be represented in court instead of preparing to represent themselves. We were able to act really quickly in getting funding out and really efficient to increase the capacity by actually having a lawyer there that can walk people through their problems. And there's such a huge difference between reading a book or a website or a, or a leaflet about how to solve your problem and someone to actually walk you through, especially if that person has legal training. So the province spent about $2 million altogether to fund legal aid clinics in eight BC communities. So I'll be speaking with the executive director of the Law Society of BC to kick off the back half of the show. And coming up in about 10 minutes, a doctor who is based out of Fort St. John is looking to bring a new frostbite medication to the province. He says it could save limbs of those who are dealing with frostbite and something that probably would have been useful here throughout the course of this week. So I'll be speaking with Dr. Jamie Wilkie in just a little bit. But to begin today's show, I am joined on the phone by a man who's launching a new music venue in Kamloops and it will be located on the North Shore. I'm joined now by J.P. Lancaster. J.P., thank you so much for joining me here. Yeah, thanks for having me, Jeff. Appreciate it. So let's just start by talking about what this new venue is. You know, I, I personally feel like there are not enough good spots to hear live music here in Kamloops, and I'm guessing that you feel the same way, and, and sort of that's what uh, drew you to, to go about launching a, a new place to go see some, some tunes. Yeah, absolutely. A, a bit of backstory about myself. Uh, I am a musician, um, and the, the company that I run, Factotum, um, was uh, something that I used to put on shows independently uh, at other venues in town. Um, and so I, you know, can see the need both from a performer standpoint and someone who organizes shows uh, and just kind of the reality of the situation is in the city, it's tough to go see, um, you know, bands who aren't playing covers on the weekend. Those kind of spaces don't really exist. Um, and, you know, I think just from the kinds of people that would come out to the shows I was putting on or to see my band play, uh, you know, it's just very apparent there are a lot of folks like you who, um, you know, there's, there's an appetite. People want to see original stuff, but it's just it's not happening. And so that was kind of the impetus to take that step forward. Awesome. So it's called the, uh, you're going to probably have to pronoun- uh, help me on the pronunciation of this, but the uh, Browdigan Library? Browdigan Library, yeah, okay. you got it. Um, which, so, is um, a fictional concept from, um, it's an author, Richard Browdigan. Basically, the idea is um, kind of a co-op library he proposes where, you know, people like you or I could bring in unpublished work, you know, novels, poems, whatever, um, and this fictional library stores them and puts them out in circulation. So as opposed to the traditional library, which is going to curate from only published works. So it was just kind of that idea, um, you know, what, what he put out there. Um, 
you know, was, was a space where a lot more literature would be available. And ironically enough, uh, there was a fellow in the 90s in Vermont who made a real-life version of it. Um, and then currently, from what I can tell, um, there's one in Vancouver, Washington, so an actual library where you or I could bring in our work. But So just the name kind of when myself... Um, Mitch Forgey and Greg Clone, who are the other two guys involved, you know, we were tossing around some ideas of what to call it, and that just kind of stuck or fit with our vision of, you know, trying to have, you know, music being the medium, not not literature, um, but a, uh, a space that would be kind of different from the normal conventions in the city. Nice. I, I like that backstory. I think that's pretty cool. Um, so can you tell me exactly where this is? I know it's along the North Shore, but for those listening, you know, can you maybe uh, specify it a little bit better? Uh, yeah, 443 Tronquille, just right next door to Redbeard. Um, so it's just kind of, you know, right in the heart of the um, busy Tronquille corridor that's, you know, been picking up a lot of steam with the addition of, you know, say Bright Eye Brewery and Five Bean and that sort of thing. Um, so it's just a small space. Formerly it was a coffee shop. Um, and, you know, we were presented with an opportunity of the space being vacant. And, um, you know, I've worked with Greg and Mitch um, you know, they're, kind of, they're part of the, the Brew Loops team, which I've curated music for. We've worked on Camelot's, uh, the Camelot's Art Gallery's uh, Luminosity project together. And so just with this empty space and with what's going on Tronquille and, you know, kind of, again, getting back to, you know, that demand for live music, it all kind of seemed to make sense. So with it being a coffee shop, or, or sorry, a formerly a coffee shop, um, you know, that kind of sounds like maybe a bit of a different space than what people would normally expect. You know, usually when you're going to see live music, it typically takes place at a bar or something along those lines. Not always, but, you know, that's typically mm-hmm. what people would think of, right, when they're thinking of live music, a band on a stage at a club or something along those lines. But how does this kind of differ, I guess, from your, your typical or your standard music venue that we see here in Kamloops right now? Yeah, you couldn't put that any better. I mean, like, I don't think... We're not trying to do, say, a coffee shop model where people are seated and, you know, listening to, you know, strictly acoustic performances. Um, you know, it'll, it'll have the feel of a venue in the sense that, you know, people will be standing. Um, but you're absolutely right. You know, it's, it's not like a nightclub where, you know, the music is sometimes a backdrop to what people are doing, talking, dancing or whatever. This is kind of more... I, you know, I kind of put it as like, say, like going to an art gallery where you're actively engaged and attentive. Um, and, and that's kind of the environment we have. It's going to be a nice, um, um, you know, tight, uh, intimate space where you can be kind of face-to-face with the performer. Um, the acoustics are surprisingly, you know, for something that was a coffee shop, the acoustics are great just based on the form of the room. Um, uh, you know, there's some ni- nice natural sound diffusion in there and uh, some nice, you know, like wood and stuff that, um, that's going to make it sound really great. Um, and then, yeah, so it's kind of, it's, it's towing that line. It's, you know, it's, it's not a club, it's not a coffee shop. I think it's going to be kind of its own unique experience and the artist is going to be kind of right there in front of you. It's going to sound great. Um, you know, and it's for people who want to go and, and engage with the performers as opposed to kind of be distracted by it or, you know, whatever. Mm-hmm. So you have one show lined up here on February 21st, and then that's kind of when things are set to launch, from what I understand. Um, you know, how frequently are you hoping to have shows at this venue? You know, are, are you hoping to see this kind of be a, a weekend spot? Is it an everyday thing? What are you kind of hoping to see in terms of just how frequently people are playing at, at the Browdigan Library? Um, I think for us to get started, it will be, um, you know, it'll be a weekend thing. And I think we're kind of looking at maybe every other week doing shows. Um, we're just kind of feeling this out. Um, you know, we kind of, mm-hmm. we basically want to get enough in there where we're not stretched in with, you know, the three of us all have, um, you know, day jobs and this is something that we're trying to do on top of that. 
Um, so we're trying to get just enough to make sure, you know, that the rent gets paid. Uh, and then and see, gauge kind of what the feeling is. I mean, you know, I think all of us believe that there will be a, a demand for it. And, you know, a lot of people have already reached out to me about, you know, can they rent it? And that's actually a detail that we hadn't considered because we were just going to, you know, the three of us be volunteering our time right. as staff. So there, there's some of those those details that we need to think about, about, you know, how would we staff it and we rent it. But for the time being, we're kind of looking at, you know, shows happening every two weeks or something um, until we get our feet under us, kind of have a bit more data to go off of and then we'll make a decision from there. Awesome. And um, I assume, and this is totally just an assumption on my part, that kind of the intent of this will be to show off a lot of, uh, you know, the Kamloops music scene and a lot of local bands that are doing great work here in the city that maybe don't get enough exposure. Um, you know, is that sort of the intent? Are you looking to kind of keep this mostly Kamloops based? Or are you hoping to see some artists come in from out of town as well? Well, I'm definitely looking, um, I'm looking to do both. Uh, that's kind of been, for me, by a factotum, my promotion work has always been uh, showcasing showcasing what's going on locally because there is some great music, um, but them within the same breath, um, for, you know, helping out touring bands who are looking to add something, um, you know, as, as they're stringing together a, a trip across the country, uh, bringing up interesting bands from Vancouver, Edmonton, Calgary. For me, it's really that, like, that perfect um, mixing pot of, of showcasing local, but then also, you know, some, some really top end uh, major market material. So for instance, our, our opening show um, on February 21st is being headlined by Brandon Wolf Scott, who uh, folk might better know his main project, which is Yukon Blonde, which is, yep. you know, a fairly mm-hmm. well-established Canadian indie rock band. Um, so, um, you know, I think having opportunities like that, being able to work with an artist like Brandon, um, and then we have Glass Forest, who has uh, Nick Owen, who is a Kamloops transplant, who lives in Vancouver, being able to showcase someone who was local. But yeah, you're absolutely right. I mean, there's enough bands in town that I want to be able to highlight them. Uh, and then I think bring, bring new stuff to town that's like, that's fresh, that's exciting. Um, that's always kind of been one of my visions with Factotum is to bring, you know, I, I think at the core of all people, whether they know it or not, love live music. And it's just kind of sometimes it's finding the right fit. And, you know, I think I've, uh, you know, I've got kind of a really good idea, my finger on the pulse of, of, you know, exciting, new, maybe unheard of acts from outside of town that would resonate with a lot of people. Very cool. I like the way you said that. A lot of people love my, or everybody loves live music, but might not necessarily know it. I like that. Um, I'll get you out of here on this, JP. So I know a lot of people probably are thinking, you know, if I want to come see a band, a lot of people want to have a drink when they go see a band. So what what is the uh, situation there when it comes to being being able to to serve alcohol at a, uh, at this venue? Well, we kind of, it's a great situation. It's it's an all ages space, but uh, there is a liquor license in place, and that's with the partnership with with Redbeard Cafe. Um, so Mitch will be curating a bar. Um, so for those who are in, they're 19 plus and are inclined, uh, we will have a full bar available. You know, and again, absolutely right. It's on a Friday night. Um, that you know, a drink and music go go hand in hand together. Um, but that being said, you know, we view you know having drinks isn't the primary reason of being there. You know, some with nightclubs that can be why mm-hmm. people are going out is to have as many as they can. Uh, here, reviewing it, reviewing it, you know, is really something that accents what you're seeing on the stage. Um, so people, you know, people can come and enjoy a couple drinks or, you know, you don't have to, and that's totally fine as well. We want to, we want to be totally inclusive to however people like to enjoy themselves. Very cool. I think this is an awesome project and I, I look forward to, to taking advantage of it myself. And I, I hope you guys get a lot of, um, warm welcome from, from the community here. So thanks so much for doing this, JP. Really appreciate your time and looking forward to seeing the opening here of the, uh, Brodigan Library.
You bet. Thank you, Jeff. Awesome. That was J.P. Lancaster discussing a new music venue that's coming to the North Shore of Kamloops. Yeah, like I said, I think there is a need for more places to go and see live music. And, uh, you know, it's great to see people like J.P., um, you know, helping to step up and, and provide that space. And, and now it's just kind of up to the community to support it. So... Yeah, I think that's awesome. Coming up next, they will be talking about a new frostbite drug, but uh, to play things out here, if you were to head down to the Brodigan Library on February 21st, you will hear Brandon Wolf-Scott of Yukon Blonde. So here's one of his uh, latest tunes, Burden on Your Shoulders. Uh, yeah, check it out. It's going to be a good show, I think. on Radio NL 610 AM News Talk and RadioNL.com. Hello and welcome back here on the Jeff Andrea Show and thanks for tuning in. A doctor who lives in Fort St. John is working to bring a medication to BC that can prevent frozen tissue from dying and help limbs recover from frostbite. Well, with these sub-zero temperatures that we've been dealing with here across BC for the last little while, it seems like something that could be useful here in British Columbia. I'm joined on the phone now by Dr. Jamie Wilkie. Doctor, thanks so much for uh, speaking to me here today. Oh, it's my pleasure. So what can you tell me about this drug here right now? I mean, what is it and, and how does it work? Yeah, so the medication is called Iliprost, and uh, it's a medication that's been used recently um, in the Whitehorse General Hospital for treatment of digit and limb-threatening frostbite. Um, it was actually introduced by uh, a physician out of the Whitehorse Hospital, um, a surgeon doctor, uh, pool up there and uh, has shown some pretty good promise in terms of limiting the amount of amputations that are required for frostbite injuries. And so we're working to kind of, in the Fort St. John Hospital, introduce it uh, into BC as an option for frostbite treatment. So, I mean, obviously you're up in Fort St. John and things are a little bit colder there. You mentioned it's about minus 30 right now as we're speaking. So, um, you know, why do you think this medication isn't available now when you're looking at temperatures like you have up in Fort St. John right now where frostbite is a, is a real concern? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I, I mean, at the moment, it's not available simply because it's, it's a newer medication uh, for this application. It has been used in the past in, uh, in Europe for frostbite, and that's where most of the studies for its efficacy are, are coming out of. Um, but it's just not uh, a medication that has been standard of care here in Canada until lately. Um, and so we're really hoping to, to start providing that uh, here in, in Fort St. John and in Northern Health, and hopefully that expands to, to make it accessible to other places that are at risk for people having frostbite. Um, at the moment, we've gotten approval as of yesterday uh, through Health Canada for access of that medication here in Fort St. John. So uh, hopefully in the next 
few weeks to months that will be available here in, in Fort St. John at least. And and with that, I mean, I think, uh, you know, if it starts in Fort St. John, it would probably just be a matter of time before we'd see the, the use of it spread throughout the province. Uh, do you have any idea just how big of an impact it could potentially have? Like how many frostbite cases uh, do you think you're dealing with on a, on a, on an average winter? I mean, I, I don't think you've been in Fort St. John for all that long from uh, the li- quick little back uh, background check I did on you, but, um, yeah. you know, it sounds like it's something that would be potentially pretty useful in a place like uh, like Fort St. John. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I've been here for two and a half years now, and um, we certainly see significant frostbite injuries um, in people who are either out camping or hunting and fishing in the winter um, or simply have just gone out and not worn a pair of gloves for an extended period of time. And it really doesn't take too long to to have a frostbite injury in in these kinds of cold temperatures that we get up here. Um, So in terms of numbers, I can't directly speak to that, uh, but we definitely do see significant frostbite presentations to our emergency department and I think we will be able to provide quite a bit of benefit with the availability of this new medication. Yeah, I was uh, I was outside walking around without gloves for maybe four or five minutes yesterday, and, and I could already feel it. So it definitely doesn't take long for that cold to, to really sink in. And, uh, you know, if you have exposed skin, it, it uh, it's a problem. Um, I yeah, guess, absolutely. How long do you think it will take for uh, Northern Health to sort of follow up on this and, and approve uh, the use of this medication here in B.C.? And, uh, yeah, do you have any idea sort of when, uh, when this might be uh, useful for doctors here in British Columbia? Yeah, so it is approved for Northern Health. We have a protocol that uh, is mirrored on the Whitehorse General Hospital protocol um, for Northern Health specifically. It's uh, not currently something that uh, I understand to be available in other health authorities. And having just gotten approval through Health Canada in the last day, um, essentially we're waiting on shipping time for that medication to arrive. I've been told it comes from Australia, which I'm not sure why, but we're waiting for it to arrive. Yeah, that's a little bit weird that it comes from uh, Australia. That's a place that, uh, especially yeah. right now, I don't think frostbite is on the top of their minds in terms of issues to no, deal with. No, definitely not. Awesome. Well, uh, thank you so much for taking the time here, Dr. Wilkie. Anything else that you want to throw on the table while I have you here? I mean, what are what are your, um, you must be pretty encouraged to see that this is going to be uh, something that you can take advantage of soon and, and hopefully help a few people out who, uh, you know, potentially, I guess, could be looking at a loss of limb if it weren't for something like this. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, here in Fort St. John, we're a bit of a smaller center, but it doesn't mean we shouldn't have access to the best care. And I believe in uh, rural medicine and providing the best care to people living in rural communities throughout BC. Awesome. Well, Dr. Bulky, thank you so much for taking the time to speak to me today. I really appreciate it. Absolutely. You take care. You as well. That was Dr. Jamie Wilkie, a physician in Fort St. John, looking to bring that new frostbite medication here to British Columbia. Yeah, frostbite, not something that, uh, you know, you want to deal with. It comes on quick. Uh, We have been dealing with that risk of frostbite at certain points of the week here. Um, You know, once that wind chill makes the temperature feel like minus 28 or colder, exposed skin can freeze in under half an hour, and when it drops to uh, minus 40, frostbite can occur in less than 10 minutes. So we haven't been quite that extreme, but it doesn't change the fact that, uh, you know, we are at risk when we're dealing with those frigid temperatures. Uh, Coming up next, the province has granted the Elizabeth Fry Society a quarter million dollars to hire a lawyer at its legal clinic. I'll talk more about that after this. Digging deeper into the day's top stories, you're listening to Jeff Andreas on 610 AM News Talk and RadioNL.com.
Welcome back here to the Jeff Andrea Show. It is Friday, January 17th. The province has granted the Elizabeth Fry Center Society a quarter million dollars to hire a lawyer at its legal clinic. The free clinic in Kamloops for people who need legal services but can't afford them has now been expanded, and people can get a little more than just advice to represent themselves. Here to discuss this expansion now is the executive director of the Law Foundation of British Columbia, Josh Patterson. Josh, thank you so much for uh, doing this here today. Thanks for having me. So, so Josh, I understand you were here in the city for this announcement yesterday, and, and just to start, I mean, why is providing these types of services so important? Well, it's really important to make sure that, that marginalized people and people who are living in poverty in Kamloops and the area around Kamloops have a way of getting help when they need it, when, uh, when they're being evicted from lose their job and they have a claim against their employer. If they're having a hard time... Uh, you know, trying to get access to disability benefits, other kinds of benefits. Um, oftentimes that takes a lawyer. So lawyers can be really expensive. And so uh, at the Kent and District uh, Elizabeth Fry Society, there is now going to be uh, a lawyer who is able to assist people um, for free, people who wouldn't otherwise be able to afford legal services when they get into these kinds of really difficult situations. So can you maybe give some examples of what some difficult situations might be that people are dealing with? Obviously, each case would be unique, but if there is sort of, you know, a theme at all to some of the problems that people might be experiencing, or is this really just kind of across the board and, and really going to have a big impact for any sort of legal issue that people are dealing with? It won't be for every kind of legal issue. It'll be, you know, for things like uh, residential tenancy. You're having a fight with your landlord. Uh, uh, you're having an issue getting some benefits that you should be entitled to. Your disability payments, uh, for some reason, have been denied. Um, there are, you know, uh, other kinds of issues with discrimination that might be covered. But think about the case of someone who uh, has got a, a single parent uh, with a with a young family. Um, maybe they're job to job, maybe there isn't quite enough money, maybe their rent gets jacked up and they're going to be evicted. Except that the landlord is doing that unfairly. If the family gets evicted, they could be bouncing between shelters. Uh, the, the parent might be having so much trouble trying to find lodging that they're not able to hold down a job. They could lose their kids to, um, to provincial child protection because they haven't got a proper home for them to be in. Those kids' lives could be sort of really not sideways uh, because they're no longer with their, uh, their parent. They're no longer in their home, et cetera, et cetera. If you could have stopped that unlawful eviction at the beginning of that chain, you could change lives going down the years. Sometimes these early interventions, a lot of times early interventions in a legal dispute um, can really help change lives for the better, and that's what this is really about. Yeah, that sounds uh, like a really positive thing when you kind of put it out that way and, and talk about some of the um, spin-off uh, effects that can come as a result of one one issue, and then it leads to, you know, a dozen issues or, you know, whatever the number might be. So it's important to kind of, you know, nip it at the bud, if you will, at the beginning to avoid some of those spin-off effects. Um, with that in mind, I guess, does this have a dramatic impact on outcomes? I feel like it's fair to assume that an actual lawyer or, or someone with legal experience will have a, a better opportunity to help navigate the legal system than, than potentially someone who has just been given advice and, and, you know, now goes about representing themselves. Well, I think, you know, there is a lot of value to, to giving people assistance in representing themselves uh, and to helping them in, in lots of different ways that, that maybe lawyers can't. And that's why at, at Kamloops and District E5, there have already been for a long time 
two non-lawyer legal advocates to help people out. But what you find is that, so they, they provide that help, but then you could get stuck in some spot where you really do need a lawyer's help to get over that obstacle. Um, you need to go to court, which someone who isn't a lawyer uh, can't really do for you, etc. And now they, the, the clinic will have that ability with a lawyer right there in Kamloops uh, who's able to give that assistance when needed. Uh, it's going to take time, you know, and this is only one lawyer for a pretty big region, a pretty big city. Um, so um, there need to be more investments, certainly over time. But this is a really important start. And I have to say, um, you know, it's great that the government of British Columbia has put the money out there uh, to make this happen, not just in Kelowna, but in Kamloops and Prince George and Surrey, which are the other locations for now, and hopefully more to come in the future. Yeah, it was, I believe, eight communities that were announced yesterday as part of this funding. So definitely going to have a nice wide reach of, of where these services are available. Um, you, you had mentioned that, you know, at this point in time, it is just one individual who's going to be sort of taking on the workload. Is there a, there a concern about that? I mean, I, you know, I just don't want to see anyone, uh, you know, getting bogged down or overwhelmed when it comes to work. So, um, you know, I assume that when we're talking about these kinds of legal aid clinics, there are protocols in place to make sure that, you know, someone's not getting overworked and not taking on too much of a caseload? Well, that's certainly the, the hope, and I think all of the clinics and legal services around the province are pretty try to be pretty careful about that. But there is an overwhelming need, and when you have a lawyer there and other staff, legal advocates who care, of course they're going to throw their hearts into it, uh, try and help people. So watching that balance is always uh, really important to make sure that, that the staff who are there are able to you know, be well supported to do the work over the long haul. Um, there's, of course, the lawyer and the two legal advocates. There's one other staff uh, position as an assistant to sort of help manage the load. Um, so all together, there's a team of about four people, and we're hopeful that, um, that that'll make a big difference. Yeah, hopefully it will. Uh, I guess this will be something that will kind of be reviewed as as now that it has been launched and it's going to take some time to, to get up and running. And then once you know things are in full swing, it will hopefully be reviewed to see how it can be improved and, and made better and if more staff is needed, etc. So uh, I'm sure that will be the case here moving forward. You would think that the province would, if they're going to put $2 million, won't just leave it by the wayside. They will uh, you know, kind of see how things are working um, and, and make improvements moving forward. So thank you so much, Josh. Anything else that you th- want to highlight here when it comes to these kinds of services i mean clearly something that's very important here in the province and in in individual communities to have a place where people can go and it's not going to uh you know put a hole in their pocket in order to get some legal advice um you know anything else that you want to throw on the table while i have you here well i would just mention that in addition to um the services at Camps district e fry society um uh, uh, thompson rivers university law school also has a, a a legal clinic uh, where they're able to help people with certain problems with law students and a supervising lawyer. So between the two clinics, they don't do quite exactly the same kinds of things, but between the two clinics, um, we're certainly hopeful that um, that Kamloops and the area will have um, uh, at least a, a, a good injection of the kinds of services that they need. Awesome. Yeah, thank you for highlighting that. I do appreciate that because um, it's important that people know that there are more than one option and, and uh, that will, like I mentioned earlier when we're talking about uh, overburdening someone with caseloads, well, if there is another place for people to go, then uh, that's good information to have available. So thank you so much for doing this, Josh. I really appreciate you taking the time and, uh, yeah, discussing what I think is uh, an important move here by the province moving forward to, to make these legal services available to those who uh, otherwise would not be able to afford it. So thank you so much for uh, speaking to me today. 
You bet. Have a great day. You as well. That was uh, Executive Director of the Law Foundation of British Columbia, Josh Patterson. Now, uh, B.C. Attorney General David Eby was also in the city yesterday to make the funding announcement. He says demand is significant for these type of services, and judging by what Josh had to say, uh, you know, it's uh, pretty evident that there is quite a demand here for these kinds of services. Here's David Eby we were able to act really quickly in getting funding out and really efficiently to increase the capacity by actually having a lawyer there that can walk people through their problems. And there's such a huge difference between reading a book or a website or a, or a leaflet about how to solve your problem and someone to actually walk you through, especially if that person has legal training. Yeah, definitely fair to say it's going to make a huge difference. If someone handed me a leaflet and said, uh, read this and go about representing yourself, I feel like the outcome probably wouldn't be in my favor because, uh, uh, yeah, that's just not my forte. That's not my forte, and I'm sure a lot of people who are using these types of services feel the same way. Uh, you know, getting some literature, getting some reading material, getting some advice, uh, you know, secondhand, and then having to go about uh, relaying it and doing it yourself. Difficult for a lot of people. I know Josh Patterson had said there during our interview that, uh, you know, it's still a, a very valuable service, and there's no doubt about that, and this is still going to be a service that is available through these centers, whether it be through TRU or, or through the uh, Elizabeth Fry Society. So that service is still available to get that advice and go about representing yourself, but just having that extra uh, option of having someone who is a legal professional be able to uh, represent you and, and, and help you navigate the legal system. I think that's really important, uh, especially for those individuals, like I said, who would uh, otherwise not be able to afford having that uh, that legal advice. So uh, definitely a, a, a positive here moving forward and something that I think many people will be taking advantage of. And uh, I think one thing that Josh had said there during our talk was just, you know, when, when I asked for an example of kind of how this could be used, well, um, you know, if there was an illegal eviction that took place and then there's a number of potential spin-off impacts that result of that whether it be you know bouncing through uh, some sort of uh, government housing or um, you know what happens to the kids uh, in terms of their mental state uh, you know if they're trying to go to school but they're having issues at home when it comes to just kind of a uh, stability um, you know there's a number of issues that can result from just one small thing that hopefully could be resolved at the beginning and then uh, you know you avoid all those spin-off impacts and that could make a big difference in the community and uh, just for people at large so $2 million for eight of these uh, new lawyers across the province, 250000 for right here in Kamloops to, uh, you know, give a, uh, the Elizabeth Fry Society uh, its legal aid clinic there a chance to have a legal professional on hand in order to represent people. So there you go. Coming up after the break, how are new graduates faring at TRU when it comes to the interview process or for that matter, for the internship pro process. I mean, as they look for work and, and discuss getting out into the field, you know, what are they wearing? A good question, you know, I think is how well do people dress? I'll be joined by one of the Thompson Rivers University's lecturers who's helping students, quote, dress for success. Yeah, something that maybe people think don't think about. You know, you look at your wardrobe and you say, that's, uh, that's great for going out on Friday or Saturday, but maybe it's not great for going to that 9 to 5. So I'll be talking more about that after this. Please stick around. The voice of your community, Radio NL 610 AM News Talk and RadioNL.com. Here's Jeff Andreas. Welcome back to the show here on Friday the 17th. Thanks for tuning in. When university students are getting ready to go out into the field and begin practicing their education, well, for many it can be a realization that 
They don't have the wardrobe to look professional when entering the workplace. Well, a program called Dress for Success is helping to bridge that gap and help students dress uh, like they belong. I'm joined now by Roxanne Letterlow, a lecturer at, coordinator at TRU's School of Education. Roxanne, thanks so much for coming in here. Thank you for having me. So, uh, yeah, just kind of tell me a little bit about how this program came to be. I mean, I assume some students probably voiced some concern about what they would look like when entering the field, and, and you are you know, taking up the, the reins to say, let's find out how we can go about helping them. You bet. So what happened was I was teaching the, the class and kind of explaining to them about clothing. So we're in a part in the program where we're going to go into practicum. And when you're becoming a teacher, what you wear is kind of important. You want to make sure that you're dressed appropriately uh, when you're in front of the classroom. And so after we had that conversation, it was during a break and I happened to walk by and some of the, the moms in the group were a little bit worried about what that looked like, um, especially when they're low income and, you know, as a mom, you tend to put your children's needs and other needs ahead of your own before actually going out and looking for professional type clothing. And so that can be another added stress uh, when you're looking to become a teacher. So uh, you said that this had launched kind of in October, so earlier here in, in mm -hmm. 2019, so the beginning of the school year kind of. Um, so I guess how, what's the response been like? I mean, you obviously had to go about collecting some clothing to do this, so how did that process work? Yeah, so I just, I just put a call out on my own social media page and was just like, listen, this is what's happening. I have these um, soon-to-be teachers and they're really worried about um, professional clothing and I was inundated with um, donations and comments, people wanting to help, where can they drop off clothing? And so we kind of arranged with my mom, who is the elder mentor of the program, and she went around and picked up all these clothes around Kamloops, and, and then we brought them into a boardroom that's near my office, and it was like, we filled the, f the boardroom with clothing. So there's me and my mom, you know, trying to organize clothing and sizes and blouse, like just different categories. And we had the students come in and try clothes. We're putting them there. We used one of our storage um, closets mm -hmm. as like a change room just to kind of, you know, it started off really small. Um, and then I mentioned it um, in a faculty meeting and was like, hey, this is really cool. This is what, you know, happened. And the community really stepped up and, you know, helped to support these teachers. And then that's when Sultan came on board when um, I... Somebody had approached and said, hey, I know somebody that can really help make this program even more bigger. And that's when we put the call out to the, the faculty. So the faculty of social work and education. And so then we got another load of donations. And But this time it was a bit more... I guess, organized, if you want to say, because we had Sultan's help um, with how to ha arrange all the clothing. Um, the program then um, bought us, like, treats. We had meat and cheese, and we had music playing. So it was a really a different atmosphere to make the students feel comfortable about coming in and... Uh, accessing something that might make mm -hmm. someone feel uncomfortable trying to access. Yeah, that actually sounds like it might be a, a bit of a fun time too, right? If you there come in, there was so much some, laughter yeah, going on. Yeah, you have some on. meat and cheese, and you get to you know play model, I guess, yes. for a little bit and figure out what looks good. I mean, that sounds like a, students probably really enjoyed it. Oh yeah, they did. It really eased their tension and stress of like, oh, I'm accessing something that you know other people ha already have access to, and so I think that was a big issue as well as just how do I access this when there's no availability to it? So like if a student in, that is taking a university class and they need a textbook, 
um, if they can't afford it, they can go to the library, they can borrow off somebody, they might find an online version. Sometimes you can find them in the secondhand stores. But how do you access professional clothing when it's something that you need for your learning? So these mm -hmm. guys are going into practicum, they're learning to be teachers, but they don't have access to something that is required of them to do that learning. Yeah, and that's a, a really important profession when talking about looking, you know, appropriate, because when we're dealing with, with kids and students, that can be a distraction, right, if, if you're not dressed uh, appropriately exactly. for that job. So. Yeah, and part of it is that confidence piece, too. Mm -hmm. I know when I'm put together and I feel like I got a good outfit on and I'm going to go do something that I normally don't feel confident doing and I'm, you know, needing some support in, a nice outfit will definitely help boost that self-esteem. So, uh, you know, you've, you've run this now for four months or, or so and, and um, you've, you've obviously had some success when it comes to collecting outfits and, and helping students you know, find out what looks good on them and, and wear mm -hmm. that out in the field. Where does this go from here? Is this something that you just see kind of continuing to grow and, and continuing to, to have um, more clothing, more yeah. outfits available and just expand from here? Well, it was kind of uh, overwhelming. What do I do with all these clothes yeah, now? Because we had a lot of clothes and we kind of offered it a number of times to students that needed it. And so TRU um, did an article themselves, and I actually got approached by another community on campus that were looking to do a similar thing for students. And so now there's a campus closet that's being formed, and so we donated all that we had left to them. And it's basically going to be like a lending library of clothes. So they're going to go and be able to borrow clothes for practicums or for interviews, and then um, either bring them back or I'm not sure of the p full process, but that's the idea of yeah, it. So, so kind of figuring it out is... Yeah. Yeah. things kind of progress here. And it's funny because now that these have been going on, I'm getting more, like, where can I yeah. donate more clothes? And I'm like, I'm not taking any more <laughs> right now. Their practicum's not till April, so right. when, maybe March we'll start looking at doing another have one. You, have you had issues with people, you know, I know this is always an issue when we're talking about secondhand clothing where people are just kind of looking to get rid of their stuff that's maybe not worth wearing. Did you have an inundation of, well, of bad stuff? there was a few of those, um, but it was funny because we would get, like, some maybe oversized old t-shirts and right. we were like one of the the moms was like oh that will fit my son and so they got oh, okay. passed so still on still out. but for the most part like we had a lot of donations like Anne Klein like very high-end clothing and again they were like I can take this and it's like well yes that's the purpose the person donating it knew that you were going to be getting it for free so it's not we're not expecting anything in return that's awesome and um, I guess we had about a minute left here so uh, when people get the outfits I guess do they do they keep them is that like forever oh, yeah. or do they bring yeah. them back no, it, when it's through this Dress for Success, they keep it. The Perfect. campus closet, I'm not sure how their process is. But yeah, when we do it, they keep it. And some of them are walking with bags of clothing nice. and they're just smiling. And uh, how important was it? I mean, you mentioned Sultan, but uh, I don't know if people listening know who that is. Mm -hmm. But, uh, you know, he was probably influential in helping oh, put totally. together some he, stuff. Oh, He's just, his energy is so flamboyant. He's just so much positivity coming from him. He makes you feel like this is, you deserve this and that, yeah. that it's a good thing that you're coming here and doing this. And so um, having him a part of it was super helpful the second time around. Call him a fashion expert, maybe? Yes. Perfect. Yes. Well, Roxanne, thank you so much for taking the time to come in. I think this is a really cool program. Mm -hmm. And, and something that I'm glad people are taking advantage of. Yes, so thank you. I think, uh, I think it's awesome. So thanks so much for coming in. Cookstown. Awesome. That was uh, Roxanne Letterlow, a uh, lecturer at uh, TRU's School of Education. Well, that about wraps things up for me here today. I want to thank all my guests for joining me. And, of course, a big thank you to all of you for listening. And remember, whether you join me for a short while or a long while, just know I enjoyed your time while it lasted. Have a great weekend, and I'll be back here on Monday at 9.